and welcome to Living Our Beliefs, a home for open conversations with fellow Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Through personal stories and reflection, we will explore how our religious traditions show up in daily life, at work, at home, in the community, in good times and in bad. There is no one-size-fits-all right answer. Just a way to move forward for you, for here, for now. I am your host, Maylee Solomon. So glad you could join us. This is episode number 10 and was recorded on the 8th of March, 2022. My guest today is Dina Thayer. Dina is the co-founder of Future Focused Parenting and co-host, along with Kira Dorian, of the successful parenting podcast, Raising Adults. Dina works with expectant, new, and seasoned parents, as well as blended families. She is passionate about providing families with practical tools for their parenting journey, and enjoys helping parents thrive rather than just survive. She holds a bachelor's degree in speech communication, a master's degree in education, and multiple certifications for her work with parents. Dina appreciates opportunities to weave her faith into her profession and to engage in meaningful dialogue around tough issues. Dina is a lifelong Christian and lives in the Seattle area with her family. Links to her future-focused parenting website and social media handles are listed in the show notes. Hello, Dina. Welcome to my Living Our Beliefs podcast. I'm so pleased you've joined me today. Thank you so much for having me. I am happy to be here. I'd like to start by asking about the religious and other aspects of your identity. Mm, I like that. Other aspects are included too. How fun. So I am a Christian. I am not particularly aligned with any specific denomination at this point, although I grew up in a Presbyterian church, which was a little bit more liturgical than the church I attend now. And I also went to a Lutheran school. So that was very interesting, the juxtaposition between my family's experience of faith and the school I went to, which was a bit more formal. So now I am still an evangelical reformed Christian, but I am more non-denominational at this point. Thanks for running through that religious history. I'd like to better understand how you're currently defining yourself. You said evangelical, but you also said non-denominational. Could you explain that a bit? Sure. When I'm thinking of evangelical, and I consider myself a little more conservative and more toward the Reformed side, what I'm meaning is that my theology is on the more traditional side, even in terms of social and political viewpoints. But in terms of non-denominational, I'm not currently in a church that aligns with, oh, we're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or something like that. And having grown up in that, I'm certainly not opposed to it. It's just where I've found myself in this season due to family situations and and multiple things. The church body is not aligned with a specific denomination, but I still consider my beliefs to be, I would say, on the more conservative side, probably influenced by that upbringing in those more liturgical settings. The non-denominational part, I totally understand. But when you then say you're evangelical, 
that has always seemed to me to be a denomination, but I'm gathering not. What does that mean to you, to be evangelical? That's a great question. In my frame and viewpoint, it isn't aligned with a denomination necessarily. It's more really about how you present your faith. And an evangelical Christian is someone who does believe that we should live in a way that matches. I'm trying to live in a way that honors God throughout the week. I'm trying to live in a way that would match with biblical principles throughout the week. And that's really what I mean by that. So trying to stay away from just being the compartmentalized Sunday morning Christian. I go to church, but it doesn't really impact any other area of my life. Thank you. And it's interesting to hear you describe that, Dina. It's slightly different than what another guest described. She described evangelical as a stance of being outward looking to the community and that it's more geared towards proselytizing. But I don't hear you talking about that. I hear you saying it means to you living your faith on a daily basis and living by the biblical principles. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make. I actually don't disagree with your other guest. And I think that the two are nuanced and they relate to each other but they're not mutually exclusive. So of course, evangelical actually comes from the word evangelism, where we're sharing our faith with others. And that is really a key component of a lot of people's Christian faith. I'll be honest, I find it a bit jarring and a bit off-putting when someone is too verbally effusive with their faith to the point of maybe confronting people or talking about it every chance they get. And so for me, I think I take that similar concept of being outward focused and caring about others and that they might come to faith, but I do that through the way that I live. I want to make people curious and say, wow, Dina does things differently. And I'm wondering about that. So that's why I would say, for me, it comes down more to the way I live. There's this cliche that you're the only sermon some people will ever hear, or you're the only Bible some people will ever read. And so I really want to convey that with my life more and then be invited into the conversation. So actually very similar, just the way of going about it is a little bit different for me. I really like to let my life do the talking. That's really beautiful. And I appreciate the clarification, Dina. The other bit of what you said that I'm curious about is that your stance of living your faith on a daily basis is therefore conservative. Did I understand you correctly? Oh, I don't think those are necessarily linked. I, th I think, uh, and that may have been me misspeaking, to be fair. I think there's plenty of people who really really mean it, so to speak, and, and live their lives in a way that really aligns with their beliefs and are much more liberal, even socially and politically, than I am. For me, it happens to play out in that way, partly because of the circles I'm in. Again, I fully admitted at the top of our conversation that I think there was some influence in those more liturgical backgrounds that I've experienced. And also where I choose to place myself now. I'm married to someone who was a pastor for 14 years. Our theology is very similar and happens to be on the more conservative side. I also work at a classical school. That is a pretty conservative environment. 
some of those things I've sought out because that's what I'm more comfortable with. But I appreciate you bringing up that point because I don't think that they're intertwined necessarily. But for me, that's how that ends up manifesting. Okay, good. I'm glad we clarified that. I know people pretty far left on the spectrum who are completely living by their beliefs. So I'm glad we straightened that out. You mentioned your your husband and your school. So I'd like to hear more about that. How do your beliefs show up in your family? I love that question. So that is correct. My husband was a youth pastor working with middle and high schoolers for 14 years. He voluntarily stepped down when his first marriage started struggling. He really felt like he needed to put his focus at home and work on that. The marriage ultimately did not survive, but I really appreciate his integrity in saying my priority needs to be my family and not my ministry. So he is no longer a pastor, but his beliefs certainly influenced the way that he lives and influenced us as we intersected and and worked to blend our families now in this remarriage. It shows up in our family in in numerous ways. One is that we were committed to being part of a faith community, and that meant finding a place for our children too, which was challenging. The divorce and subsequent remarriages meant all five of our children had a church disruption where they were in a faith community somewhere, and now they're in a faith community somewhere else. And that that was really difficult, but it was important to us to forge a new path with this new family and find a faith community that met our needs. So that's one way, but I think in some ways that's the superficial part because like I said, anyone can just go to church. Other ways it showed up for us in really practical ways is from the time we were dating, we had certain moral convictions about everything from how we would talk about our relationship with our children and the speed at which we would move toward marriage to things like physical intimacy. And we wanted to wait until we were married for that. So I think our faith really informed things right from the beginning. And then we were able to talk with our children about that. It's been really interesting because they are now all into teen and young adulthood. And we're getting to see how that looks in their own lives. To be fair, not all of them are choosing to live a a life of faith necessarily. And the ones that are, are doing it in all kinds of different ways. And so it's been really powerful to see that play out. But in our home, there was a lot of prayer in front of the kids, with the kids, and a lot of conversation about big issues and big questions about life. And how do we look at that as people who are believers, as people who look to the Bible to inform our life decisions, as people who watch the news and have to decide how do we respond as a Christian? So I think it showed up in simple ways around the dinner table, maybe saying grace before a meal but also in some pretty complex ways in the conversations we had with our children, even about really big stuff. And again, all the way back into our dating. So we, we can see how it infiltrates our daily life. And that's how we like it. Again, we work to not compartmentalize, but to have it really be an aspect of just how we live. I admire your integrity in taking that path with your husband and the whole transition into a blended family. Good for you. Not easy. No, these are not easy things to do. Really small linguistic question for you. You talk about having a blended family. Another word I've heard is patchwork. Do those mean the same thing? 
Mm, I've never heard that term used. It certainly could work because there's a lot of piecing things together in a blended family. My husband and I actually lead a blended family group at our church, and we talk a lot about the misnomer of the blender. You cannot throw a bunch of ingredients in a blender and have them not be impacted by the blades. It hurts. And so we like to use the analogy and word picture of a crock pot. When you put the ingredients in, it really takes low heat for a long time for everything to actually come together. Blended families often are very challenging in the early years. The honeymoon is not at the beginning in a blended family. It's often years later when everyone has kind of figured out where they belong. But I guess when I'm thinking about the term that you brought up, there is a bit of a patchwork. I could see the word picture of creating a quilt and you've got these different pieces of fabric and you're working to stitch them together. And eventually, with some time and effort, you have one unit, you have that one quilt. And that that is somewhat accurate. It's a lot of time and a lot of effort, but you can get there. Mm. Yeah, the imagery is really interesting. Any of these things do really take time. Relationships take time, and it's very much a step-by-step process. It's good to just recognize that. I'm curious about whether there is a particular Christian value or a particular Bible story or person in the Bible that really speaks to you and is pronounced in your life? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, There's a few, one in a positive way and one in an area that I would call the growth area. So the one that's positive is uh, in the Old Testament, the story of Esther. What I love about that story is she's put in this precarious position of having to talk to the king and she's not supposed to, if you show up To the king, unrequested, you could literally be killed. And yet she goes. He is her husband by that point, so maybe that helps. She goes, and she's ultimately able to really save the Jews from some coming harm. You might be familiar with this story. There's this verse that says that, you know, this is maybe why you're here for such a time as this. And I think that I am a person who's willing to recognize that maybe I'm in the workplace I'm in, the family I'm in, the geographical location I am in for such a time as this. I'm a person who's willing to say, this is where God has me. How can I make the most of it? On the flip side of that, there is a story in the New Testament, in the Gospels in the Bible, where Jesus visits the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. One is super busy preparing the food and the house, and she's super frustrated (laughs) and that her sister isn't helping out because her sister's just hanging out and listening to what Jesus has to say. And he says, oh, Martha, there's all these things to be done, and I get it, but really, your sister has chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken away from her. And that's really a nice reminder to me. I think I have the propensity to get a little frenetic in my own life and just bogged down with the details. And I need to be here and do this and check this email. And just the reminder that there is a place for sitting, being present, being silent, just listening. We just recently got back from Antarctica and the scenery there 
literally demanded being present and being silent at times. I could not speak. It was that spectacular. And that was really powerful for me because I wanted to carry that back into my life at home to remember to be present, to remember to be quiet. So both of those stories speak to me, one in a way that's encouraging. It's an area I feel I'm doing well and another area that encourages me to do better. Interesting. I'm certainly aware of the Esther story. We Jews are about to celebrate Purim, and that's the story that we read. So it's quite timely that you mention that. And interesting about the story about Mary and Martha and Jesus. And it's interesting about the need to be present and to listen. I think seeing that as a challenge in your life is something that you have a lot of company around. You can't be super busy and be present and listening at the same time. True. I wish you the best of luck in improving that ability in your life. Thank you. In your bio, you say that you appreciate opportunities to weave your faith into your profession, which I think is a beautiful expression. And you've already commented on how you work at a conservative school. You also have a podcast. And I'd like to hear about how your faith shows up in those settings. Sure. Well, it's interesting because in the setting at the classical school, it's really quite comfortable to talk about my faith. And I'm in a community of like-minded people. So my colleagues are Christians, the students at the school, the parents. So it's really lovely. I quite enjoy not only the work that I do there, but the people that I'm around but it can get comfortable. And I think there's something to be said for getting out of our comfort zone. And I think that's where the best growth and change happens. People don't tend to grow a lot when they're just complacent. So what's been really nice in these past several years is with my lovely colleague, Kira Dorian, we started a parenting podcast. And Kira is not a Christian. And I think it's really added to the dynamic of our podcast. Because we often come at the parenting topics on our show from very different angles. And yet, often the way in which we parent is very similar. So that's been really fascinating for me that our whys are so different, but our what's and how's are often very similar. The other challenge there where it's encouraged me to grow is I have to be really sensitive to the fact that our audience is not comprised entirely of people with a faith paradigm either. So that's been challenging at times. My business partner and I have had to have a lot of conversations about how do we maintain authenticity while being sensitive to our audience, because we both want to be able to be who we are. And that's very important. We want to be authentic and genuine in what we share on the show, while being careful not to alienate people who might be looking at that from a very different angle. So it's been really interesting for me, and I have embraced the challenge. I've learned so much, not only from Kira, from the dialogue we have, but from clients who've hired me for parent coaching. It's been really great for me. Not to say that it isn't fun when I occasionally get a Christian client and I can bend the parenting advice to match their values, and I have some familiarity with that, having done it myself. But I love the way that it stretches me to lean on the parenting principles themselves and be able to remove the faith piece when that's required. It's really been fascinating. I, I've actually quite enjoyed it, but I also feel like Kira and I have something pretty unique. I think in our world right now, it's been 
a world full of challenge for people who disagree to find a way forward to have civil dialogue. And so one of the things I just appreciate is that even when she and I see things very differently when we're sharing on the show, we dialogue about it in a way that cares about the other person. And I think that's been really great for our audience to hear people disagree kindly. I don't think there's enough of that in the world. It's been great living out my faith in a capacity where it's super comfortable and I'm surrounded by it, but also living it out in a place where I do have to be more careful and gentle. That's super interesting. I guess I both knew and didn't know that mix for you and appreciate your expanding on that a bit. Did you and Kira know each other very well before you began the podcast? We did. And I'm thankful for her because she also connected me with you. So that was a treat. We met in a networking capacity because we were both in the world of childbirth and helping families prepare for their birthing day. We were both childbirth educators. And Kira reached out to me to just do a little bit of networking. She actually sat in on my birth class and Kira, being a certified hypnotherapist, was teaching hypnobirthing. And so I asked if I could sit in on her class. I was quite interested in learning about hypnobirthing. It really did start out as a professional connection. We mostly would talk about birth class and things like that, but it developed into a friendship and she eventually hired me as her doula. She was my very first twin birth as a doula. So that was very special. And she had often said, we need to work together. We need to find a way to work together. So eventually I was contracted to do a portion of teaching for the hypnobirthing classes. There are just some parameters, certain things you can't say in a hypnobirthing class if you're a hypnobirthing practitioner, but I could say those things. And so they hired me to come in and and do a class just, just for that. So we had touched bases peripherally working together and we developed this friendship. And what we noticed is the friend in the friendship, what we talked about the most was parenting. I was further down the road than her since my kids were older. And so she would often ask me about things and I would ask her about things and how she was handling it with her toddlers and things like that. And it really sparked a love of this mutual idea that wow, we help people prepare so much for their birth. And then there seems to be somewhat of a dearth of resources for parenting. It's similar to people prepare so much for their wedding day. And then sometimes the marriage is a disaster because there hasn't been the prep for that piece that actually lasts a lot longer than that one day. And that struck us that it was analogous to a wedding in that way. And we we do all this. We're part of that problem. We're part of prepping people for birth. And then what are we doing for afterwards? And that sparked really our love of, hey, you know, we're really big into intentional, proactive parenting and looking at things through this unique lens. And that was how we ended up with this idea of starting our company, Future Focused Parenting. So, yes, we did know each other in advance. I think we were fortunate in that way because it ended up helping us meld together quite nicely as business partners. I didn't know about that history. And I echo the pleasure of getting connected to you through Kira. She's fantastic that way. She is so enterprising and always interested in connecting people and moving things forward. Yes. Do you feel like your sense of parenting, your approach, your philosophy of parenting has changed as a result 
of working with Kira, who is not Christian and not, not really a believer, as I understand it. Yes, her most recent description to me was, I am a God-leaning agnostic Jew. <laughs> so, um, so you are correct. And yes, it's a resounding yes. I've learned so much from her. And I love the way I parent, or I wouldn't do it the way I do. I believe in it. I believe in parenting with an eye toward the future. Well, so does she. Where she has enhanced my parenting journey greatly is in her absolute command of empathy and emotional intelligence. I brought a lot of intellect to my parenting game and it was going well. I brought a lot of thought into it. I was a forward thinker. I knew what I wanted out of parenting and I knew what I was aiming at. And I knew that I wanted to honor God in that. And so all those things were intertwined. But I think I can be a bit cerebral. And I think knowing Kira and having her in my life and also watching her as a parent has really just softened my rough edges. She's been this lovely kind of piece of sandpaper for me. And I think I bring a lot more empathy and emotional intelligence to the table in the way I interact with my children now who are older, but still I think they appreciate it. I mean, at one point, one of my kids had to say to me, you know, it'd be nice if when we came down in the morning, you said good morning first before you started asking us whether we'd done our tasks. <laughs> so that's just one example. I'm, I'm so task oriented and I'm such a firstborn I really fit the firstborn mold. And so what Kira brought for me is, you know what? I can be task focused, but how about not at the expense of being relationship focused? And so that's where I've really learned from her. Yeah, I, I understand about the birth order. I'm the youngest of three. My sisters and I have spoken at several times about how well we fit that paradigm of birth order. I think it's great that you have found a way of remaining steadfast in your faith and really living your faith while being open to some modulation by Kira and no doubt others. That stands out to me, Dina, because one of the things that seems often true to me, and I'm a liberal, I go to a conservative synagogue, but I'm politically and socially liberal, always have been. When I think about and when I speak with observant Christians, Jews, Muslims, as I have done for a number of years now in my Talking with God project and now with this Living Our Beliefs podcast, what I hear again and again is that folks who are on the conservative end of the religious spectrum are almost uniformly very sure in their faith and beliefs. And and the folks on the liberal end of the religious spectrum bring a lot of questions to the conversation. It's not that they're mm -hmm. uncomfortable about their faith or how they're living their lives, but they seem to lead with questions rather than surety. Do you see that? I think that is a keen observation. And I think it's largely accurate. And where I think that can be off-putting, as I said earlier, is if, if we're unwilling to at least be open to the idea that, hey, maybe there's room to grow or to be different in this area, or maybe I can be open to the fact that a long-held belief is inaccurate. If we're too dogmatic, I don't think it's very winsome. And so it kind of goes back to what I said earlier in the conversation. You know, my goal, the way I live evangelically, we'll say, is I want to be winsome. 
I want to live in a way that, yes, is different and certainly is characterized by integrity and, and, and my commitment to follow my beliefs, but is maybe interesting, inviting, welcoming. I think if we're not winsome, we really lose out on the chance to possibly enter into dialogue with someone who's different from us. And I don't think that that dogmatic approach is super appealing. The other thing that's really interesting, and I'm so glad you said it, is that perceived dichotomy between surety versus questions. For me, it's actually because I'm so confident and sure in my faith that I'm comfortable putting it to the test and having people challenge me on it. That doesn't make me uncomfortable because I am confident in what I believe. And I think sometimes what comes off as confidence or dogma from a person is actually please don't engage with we, with me on this because I'm worried it might come crumbling down. And that is a very different thing. That's more of a perceived confidence. It's put out to the world, but it's maybe a little bit false. And my confidence really allows room. I welcome it. Please challenge me. Please ask me questions. Please call me on things if you see that I'm off base. I like that and I welcome it. And I think it's only strengthened my faith. It either will confirm what I already believe, or it might challenge me, but usually that's a good thing because I either do find out I'm off base and I need to make a course correction, or I find a way that I can grow relationally by having that hard conversation. So to me, there's a benefit in that and it comes from that confidence and surety. It's very interesting. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Mm. To be confident in your faith and yet be open to questions, dialogue, discussion, review is admirable. I quite agree that some people appear confident, but actually it's a front for lack of confidence and fear of being challenged. Has it always been that way for you or has this been something that's changed over the years? Yes, <laughs> because I think my confidence in my faith has been a pretty solid fixture. I grew up in a Christian family, so I almost can't remember a time where this wasn't part of my life and wasn't important to me. And yet I think my willingness to engage with different ideas, different viewpoints, people with whom I disagree has developed and grown over time. So I, I started with the one and I came by the other along the way. What has helped that? Well, two things. One, my family of origin, they were kind of an island, to be honest. My parents are fairly conservative, actually probably even more than me, and our extended family and friends largely are not. And so I saw my parents engage with that with varying degrees of success. I mean, it meant sometimes there was a family event where it was like, we probably just should avoid this particular topic for the sake of getting along. But I didn't see them shy away from people that were different from them or thought differently or had a super strong conviction that was different than theirs. And then the second one is starting to have positive interactions with people with whom I knew I would disagree as I came into my teen, college, and adult years. And the word positive is important because some of my first interactions when I was just testing the water, how do I, how do I even engage with people who don't think the way I do? They sometimes left me a little bit uncertain or scarred or bruised because somebody made a sharp comment. And even if it wasn't meant to be mean... I was sensitive or I took it wrong. So starting to have 
positive interactions, positive people in my life, even if they were different, was huge. I mean, again, I have to say Kira's it comes immediately to the top, rises to the top of that list because she's been so willing to make sure that at the end of a conversation, we're still friends and that's what matters most. And that it's not that did we come to a point of agreement. And just to start to have people in my life like that. And I've had colleagues like that too, when I wasn't working in the setting I am now around other Christians, that has made a difference. A lot of the people who've come through our blended group, we've been doing it for seven years. Some of the people who've come through actually were not attending the church or even Christians. They were just, hey, we need some help. We're engaged and about to be in a blended family or, or what have you. So having some positive interactions with people who are on different wavelengths, really impactful for me. So what I'm hearing, Dina, is that what supports openness and connection with people who are different is a willingness to listen and learn. Is that reasonable? That is a great way to put it, because you said two things, the listening and the learning. The two things I think of are really adjacent to those, which is being open to being challenged. So that's kind of the learning, like maybe I have something to learn here. And my other favorite one is, you know, getting curious. And I think where I'm willing to listen to you, but then maybe I'll ask a follow-up question. And I want to genuinely, hey, tell me more about that. Even if we're never going to agree on this topic, we have this unspoken ground rule that we do agree on the kindness and courtesy. We might not agree on this topic, but we agree on how to treat each other. That will get you through a lot of hard conversations. If you have a conduct agreement, even if it's not ever vocalized, if there is this silent agreement that, hey, even if we never find common ground, the common ground is we do know how to engage in a way that's civil and kind and courteous and honors this other human who matters and has feelings and thoughts that are valuable. And to view someone as having something to bring to the table, not assuming they have nothing to offer just because they're not offering the same dish as you to the buffet, right? So I think that's that's key. So I would absolutely agree. The listening and learning are key elements. I love this business about civil dialogue. I have been feeling in the last bunch of years like this is sorely lacking in our culture, and I find that very difficult. It's a value that I hold dear. I recognize that it can be a challenge, depending on who you're talking with, to maintain civility in dialogue. One of the accusations that we liberals often receive is that we're wishy-washy and anything is okay. There's kind of no sturdy foundation to our feelings and what we believe in. I reject that categorically, but it is something we receive a lot. And it can make dialogue across spectrums, be it religious, cultural, race, whatever, difficult. But it's still something I strive for. We spoke earlier about Esther and Purim coming up, and after that comes Passover, which is a major holiday, and it's actually one of my favorite holidays. One of the key teachings of Passover is to remember and to be kind to the stranger because we were strangers in Egypt. That is a really powerful teaching to me, and it's one of the things that drives my interreligious engagement. It drives my dialogues for the research I do and for this podcast. 
which are all interreligious in both of those I'm speaking with observant Jews, Christians, and Muslims, of a huge variety of beliefs and practice. Yeah, and I agree. It's interesting, the accusation you mentioned, because to be fair, I know many liberals peripherally, but the ones that I know well aren't wishy-washy at all. (laughs) They definitely know where they stand and why. And I think it's really honorable to look at that teaching from Passover and identify with having been a stranger and then let that turn outward to how am I kind to someone who might feel like an outsider to this viewpoint, to this community, to this geographical area, whatever it might be. There's a lot of insiders and outsiders in the world in in multiple arenas. And we even talk about it in our blended family group that initially the insiders are the people connected by blood and the outsiders are those step people. And how do we slowly bridge that gap and become one family unit? So I I like that. That's a really nice picture. Insiders and outsiders. That's something to think about more. Good. Well, Dina, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I do want to give you an opportunity here at the end to correct anything or add anything. No corrections needed. It's been really delightful. I appreciate the way that you lean in and get curious, which is one of my favorite things when people are genuinely curious about another person's experience and the way that they navigate the world. So thank you for your thoughtful questions. You're welcome. I will put the links to your podcast. You want to just say the name here for the audience? Kira and I have a parenting podcast, as I mentioned. It's called Raising Adults. Would love to maybe have some of your audience check it out. Well, I'll put that link in the show notes so they can find you quickly. So again, thank you so much, Dana, for your time and willingness to speak openly with me today. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get notified when new episodes are released, hit the subscribe button. Questions and comments are welcome and can be sent directly to info at talkingwithgodproject.org. A link is in the show notes. Transcripts are available a few weeks after airing. This podcast is an outgrowth of my Talking With God project. For more information about that research, including workshop and presentation options, go to my website, www.talkingwithgodproject.org talkingwithgodproject.org. Thank you so much. Till next time.